and welcome to SSI Live. You've long known the Strategic Studies Institute, or SSI, at the U.S. Army War College as the go-to location for issues related to national security and military strategy with an emphasis on geostrategic analysis. SSI conducts strategic research and analysis to support the U.S. Army War College curricula, assist and inform Army, DOD, and U.S. government leadership, and serve as a bridge to the wider strategic community. Now we're bringing you access to SSI analyses, scholars, and guests through this, the SSI Live podcast series. Thanks for joining us. Hello and welcome to this edition of SSI Live. My name is John Denny and I'm a research professor of National Security Studies here at the Strategic Studies Institute, or SSI, at the U.S. Army War College. It's Tuesday, August 30th, 2022, and today I'm joined by my SSI colleague, Dr. Heather Gregg. Heather is a research professor of military strategy and policy, and she's an expert in historic and contemporary causes of religiously motivated violence. Before joining the Army War College, she held positions at the Naval Postgraduate School and the RAND Corporation. Heather has just published a new monograph with the Army War College Press entitled The Grand Strategy of Gertrude Bell, From the Arab Bureau to the Creation of Iraq, which you can now find at the SSI website, ssi.armywarcollege.edu. I've asked Heather to speak to us today about that monograph and its implications for policymakers today. So Heather, welcome. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. Heather, let's start most broadly. Can you give us just a, a short overview of your monograph on Gertrude Bell and uh, maybe start with what led you to this topic and this subject? Yeah, so uh, this is an initiative that has uh, been started by the U.S. Army War College Press to look at female strategists, which I think is really exciting. And so I knew of Gertrude Bell by uh, some work I had done on the creation of the state of Iraq. I knew she was part of that. So I wanted to learn more about her. And I didn't know that she was actually very active in devising strategy for the British in World War I. So the monograph is divided into three sections. The first section looks at what Gertrude Bell and a small team known as the Arab Bureau uh, that was stationed in Cairo, what they did to devise an unconventional warfare strategy, which is when you work with a local uh, movement, an indigenous population or group to frustrate or overthrow an occupying power or a, um, a government that you don't like. Uh, so they devised an unconventional warfare strategy to frustrate the Ottoman Empire. And this is where Lawrence of Arabia comes from. Uh, they were lifelong friends. They had known each other for some time. And they worked together to try to devise a strategy to undermine Ottoman authority by working through Arab secret societies. Uh, and then the second part looks at the end of World War I, when Britain successfully captures uh, Baghdad, and they had they captured Basra at the beginning of the war, which is uh, down in the southern part of the country. Uh, but they ended up capturing what was most of Mesopotamia at the time, and they had to devise a strategy for occupying the country and governing it. So that's the second part of the manuscript. And then the third part looks at the Mandate Era. So this is after the Treaty of Versailles. It's after um, this uh, formula was created for uh, Western powers to help colonial powers and former Ottoman uh, territories become independent. So Gertrude Bell was a part of that effort as well. And she helped to create the modern state of Iraq and to put a king uh, uh, at the, the helm of the, the state. 
Okay. So that's a, a brief overview of the of the manuscript. All right, Heather, thank you for that. Let Let's talk about now the implications uh, uh, for, for today. So, in your analysis of Gertrude Bell's role uh, in all that you've described, uh, both before the war, before World War One, and then during it and after, in terms of the practice of diplomacy and strategy making, what kind of lessons, broadly speaking, can modern strategists and diplomats draw from? Bell's Bell's work. Yeah, great. So I think the first thing I would point to is uh, the unconventional warfare strategy that Bell and the others in the Arab Bureau created. So what was so fascinating to me about this part of Bell's life and her work was that this is the strategy I would have come up with if I had been allowed to be, uh, you know, the fly on the wall. I think going in and working with pre-existing networks, pre-existing leaders uh, to try to frustrate or overthrow an occupying power, it makes sense to me that you wouldn't want to build these networks from scratch. It takes too long. You wouldn't want to try to work with leaders that may or may not have credibility with the local population. But what ended up happening with their first approach was that they um, it, it largely failed. And it failed because the Arab leaders that they worked with overpromised. They claimed that these uh, secret societies had huge networks in the Ottoman military, uh, that the officer corps, the Arab officer corps was going to flip, and none of these things happened. So they actually had to devise a second strategy. And I think this is really important, that when that strategy failed, instead of sticking with that strategy and trying to make it work, they actually changed courses. And then they uh, chose to focus on interdicting lines of communication. So. Uh, in particular, they uh, bombed uh, railway lines, uh, they engaged in sabotage of various types and ambush raids to try to stop um, the Turkish military from being able to replenish itself. And that, along with some other things, was, was successful ultimately. Uh, but I think this is a, a really great story about how difficult unconventional warfare strategies are, the need to work through local populations and through leaders, and then what happens when that doesn't work, and then how to adjust your strategy uh, when things go wrong. Uh, so that's the unconventional warfare side. I think with regard to um, stability operations, there's a lot of lessons in here. One is that um, when an occupying power goes in and tries to occupy uh, people, uh, obviously this um, is in, in most instances is going to be seen as uh, not a good thing by the local population. So how do you go in and build that relationship with the local population? Who do you decide to empower? Who do you decide to marginalize? Uh, I think that um, Bell and the team she worked with made some good decisions, but made a lot of bad decisions. Um, they were tasked with trying to govern a territory that had never been one entity. And then that became very challenging because the major cities had different levels of development and, and that was tricky. So I think that's a, that's a big thing that I would point to. Um, and then as far as state creation. Um, this is obviously a very um, touchy subject today. Uh, you know, we've just gotten out of 20 plus years of trying to stabilize and build Iraq and, uh, and Afghanistan most recently. And I think for me, what this shows is despite all the knowledge that Gertrude Bell and the others that were trying to create the state of Iraq had, the years of experience on the field, the people they knew, the languages they could speak, um, it, it still didn't go well. 
And um, I think this is very um, sobering for me. Uh, ultimately, there was a tension there between um, doing what they thought was best for the crown, for Britain, and then doing what they thought would stabilize the country and was best for the, the fledgling Iraq state. And uh, several of the decisions made were not were not good decisions and had lasting implications. Uh, the king that they put on the throne was not Iraqi, had never been to Iraq. Uh, and so that was uh, something that then the local population, parts of it, rebelled against. Um, there were tensions back then between the Shia population and the Sunni minority, and the Shia were marginalized by the British, and this has had la lasting implications. Uh, there's some stories about helping to stand up the military, about national identity building. There's just, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from, from stabilization and state building. And I think these are, are lessons that are, while we don't necessarily think we're going to get into state building again, uh, I, I imagine that as we're moving towards uh, whatever's going to the outcome be in certain countries, we're going to have to play some sort of role in stabilizing that country. So, for example, I would argue here that in Ukraine, there's going to be tremendous work that needs to be done with building infrastructures, with repopulating the country because of the internally displaced and the refugee population. Uh, leadership issues. I mean, there's going to be issues that we're going to play a part of, maybe not unilaterally, but still. Uh, so learning these lessons, how do you work through the local population? How do you build legitimacy, credibility, uh, and how do you stabilize a state in the wake of war? These are, I think, tremendous lessons. You know, Heather, I really appreciate that. I, I, I do want to get into sort of what uh, what your monograph and your research tells us about uh, things like Ukraine, but more broadly, great power competition. But I want to ask you a question about something you just mentioned. You were talking about the challenges of trying to understand the needs and desires and preferences, really, of the local population and how oftentimes when it came to stability ops, the, the British were perhaps not as um, not as sure-footed or not as successful. Uh, what was Bell's view of that at the time? I mean, did she support some of these things? I would have, I would have thought that with her uh, really uh, expert-level knowledge of the cultures, uh, the, uh, the peoples of this region, that maybe she wouldn't have supported those kinds of things, like imposing a ruler from the outside who didn't know the people. Yeah. So it's it's for me, this is the most curious part of the whole manuscript was learning that um, so that the king that that she helped put on the throne, they created a throne and put him on it, uh, was actually the uh, comrade in arms of T.E. Lawrence during World War One. So this was the Sharif of Mecca. It was his son, Faisal. And they went around, they, um, they were the, the team that helped uh, um, sabotage lines of communication uh, and, and to frustrate the Ottomans. So what's fascinating to me is this leader was known to Gertrude and known to Lawrence. And in fact, there was this conference in Cairo in 1921. Uh, curiously, at this point, Churchill was actually in charge of colonies uh, so he had a brief stint doing this, and it was at this time that uh, I think he devised several strategies that have had lasting implications. So the idea of partitioning India, for example, um, but he wanted a cheap solution for Iraq, and he left it largely to Bell and Lawrence to say, okay, how are we going to how are we going to stand up a government so that Iraq can govern itself, and we can move some of our troops out and the money that uh, we're investing in the country. They went with the leader they knew not the leader the Iraqis knew. 
And um, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Kind of, yeah, well, and, and and it's almost eerie, right? So if you think about Iraq, when we flew in uh, the expats and Chalabi was our person of choice, Chalabi had a very patchy background, to say the least. And uh, this was the leader known to us, not not to the Iraqis. So it's it's one of those terrible stories of history repeating itself, not in a good way. Yeah, yeah this is um, this is actually a good segue, Heather, to the the next question I want to ask, and that is, uh, you know, Bell focused, of course, uh, you know, she worked in an era, of, you know, roughly a hundred years ago, hundred years or more ago, right? Uh, what do you think some of the implications are for her approach to? Yeah. Um, to the Middle East, uh, to today's policymakers. I mean, I, I think you were spot on in noting, and I, I'm going to paraphrase another famous writer about, uh, you know, stability ops may be, uh, we may be done with stability ops, but stability ops may not be done with us, right? Yeah. So it, it only takes, uh, you know, a foreign policy crisis for, uh, for the attention of our national security establishment to perhaps be diverted, right? If the crisis is big enough. And so what do you think this, this story of Gertrude Bell can uh, tell policymakers today about uh, the Middle East, about Iraq specifically, or about the region more broadly? Right. So I think um, with regard to the Middle East, obviously, um, Iraq is not in a, a very secure place right now. Uh, they have had um, huge government challenges, governance challenges, obviously, ISIS's occupation of Iraq from 2014 to 2018, depending on how you want to uh, start that clock, uh, has been devastating to the country. Uh, they've had huge economic challenges. Um, they've had problems with COVID, as has everyone. And so, uh, you know, uh, and then you've got Syria and Eastern Syria in particular, that has been described as a stable stalemate. Uh, where you have uh, Russia is present in, in Eastern Syria, we're present in Eastern Syria, uh, and um, there's uh, multiple detention facilities with ISIS uh, fighters in it, one that has over 60,000, uh, Al Hall, uh, that um, and there's no real plan, there's no strategy for dealing with all these detainees. Uh, this is a hugely uh, precarious situation. And so... Um, I think that uh, we can also say we're done with the Middle East. Not that we say that, but uh, but that uh, you know the Middle East is definitely um, something that's that has not gone away. And um, so keeping our eye on what's going on in Eastern Syria and Iraq matters. And and again, some of the roots of these problems uh, unfortunately occurred when Bell and her colleagues helped uh, to stand up the state of Iraq. But beyond that, um, I think what's fascinating about the great power competition that occurred at the time of Bell and, and its similarities and differences from today are really worth um, considering. So Russia was very active in the Middle East at the time. France, Britain, Italy, uh, and Germany, they all were vying for, for influence and power in the region. And before the war, um, some of the key resources, oil was just beginning to be a resource. Um, as most know, uh, Britain moved its fleet off of coal onto oil just before World War I. This completely changed Britain's uh, need for oil. Uh, they had coal, they didn't have oil, so they had to go out and find oil to support, it was a, it was a security concern to support their fleet. Uh, but then you also had all these other groups um, vying for influence for ports, for uh, markets, and for oil. 
And, um, and within all of that, working through the local population became one means of influence. And this is a, a thing I see as a similarity today. If we we're talking about China's Belt and Road Initiative uh, or, or some of the things that Russia's doing um, uh, in a kind of almost like irregular warfare where they're working with populations uh, to try to influence them. Uh, we're in a, a great game of influence right now. Uh, and the Middle East is, is still part of that. Um, and then you have added to it this huge non-state actor problem. So it's it, it is a it is a very interesting and tricky uh, tricky place to be uh, thinking about national security. Yeah, the more I think about it, you know, the parallels between the U.S. today and Britain of 100 years ago, right? Both uh, were or maybe are, you know, the leading state, or that we might call them the hegemon of their era. But challenged, right, by by rising hegemon wannabes uh, in the form of Germany back then, uh, today China, uh, maybe Russia, but uh, relatively speaking, uh, challenges to the power of the hegemon, the leadership role in the international system. So I I think it's really interesting to try to draw out some of the lessons learned from your work for this great power competition today, because frankly, as you said, you know, Bell was. She was in the middle of great power competition between the the Brits, the Germans, uh, and the Russians. And so it sounds like one of the key lessons for uh, great power competition today is uh, to be on the ground, to be working with locals, to understand the places in which we are operating or the places in which we're seeking to influence. Uh, Is that, do I have that right? Are there other lessons you think we can draw for how we compete globally today from what Gertrude Bell uh, went through and, and saw? Yeah, I think, no, I think that's exactly it is, uh, is to be present and to build those relationships and maintain them. Uh, One of the things Gertrude Bell did best, I think she had a tremendous talent for, was building and maintaining friendships throughout her lifetime, not just with uh, the local population, but also with, with Brits. And so she was often brought in to smooth over uh, fights that were occurring between Delhi and Cairo or Cairo and London. Uh, she was very good at um, at building relationships and maintaining those relationships and not taking them for granted. So um, uh, I think this was a, a, a huge lesson that I took away from the manuscript. Another thing that I thought was really interesting was she talked to everybody. Uh, she did things that I think um, were dismissed in her time and maybe even today as superfluous. Uh, she threw a lot of parties and um, that might be dismissed as as a socialite. However, she very strategically put people in the room together that she wanted to meet. She wanted them to meet each other. She wanted them to be able to talk in a low threat environment. And uh, and she did this with just master skill. Uh, everything was deliberate. Uh, when the king finally came to Iraq, she was very careful to throw parties that uh, got the right people in the room, but then also the wives of people. So she had teas every week because she knew that wives had their husband's ears and that she could start to work with the wives to influence the husbands. So she she was very good at, at building relationships and then uh, using them not in a not in a nefarious way, but but using them to to shape the environment in a way that she found uh, that was useful to her. 
Yeah. It's, Heather, it's really a fascinating story. I'm so glad you brought uh, more light. You shed more light for us on this subject, on this uh, this particular woman, this strategist of 100 years ago. And so uh, I'm really grateful uh, for you joining us today. Dr. Heather Gregg, a research professor of military strategy and policy and author of the new monograph, The Grand Strategy of Gertrude Bell, From the Arab Bureau to the Creation of Iraq. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, John. It was a pleasure. You can now find SSI Live on TuneIn Radio and on popular podcast directories like Stitcher and at the iTunes Store. If you have any comments on our podcasts, thoughts on what you'd like to see addressed, or a response to something you heard here at SSI Live, please go to our website. That's ssi.armywarcollege.edu. Find me, John Denny, in the staff directory, and send me an email. I look forward to hearing from you. For the SSI Live podcast series, I'm John Denny. Thanks for listening.